Out of numerous rehabs and uh, rehabilitation centers, um, but I still wasn't ready. I had felt Jesus knocking on my door, but it was just like a tiny little voice, you know, that I just blocked out. Seems like I never uh, did like authority. I don't know why, but uh, you know, so anyone that was trying to tell me what to do, I just did the exact opposite. I knew God was good, but I felt like I had done too much wrong. It brought me farther away from, from God. You know, I thought that I wasn't worthy to be in the presence of Him. It started a 19-year-old uh, drug habit. I knew I was in need of a Savior, and uh, me and my wife had tried a few other churches, you know, trying to look, look for Jesus there. And he was there, but it felt like we just didn't fit in. So we had been driving by this place, this nice big church. And, you know, we was curious. And I don't know if it was Jesus calling us in or, or what it was, but we seen Matt and he'd welcomed, he welcomed us in, I mean, right away. That big smile he's got, you know. And, um, you know, from there, we knew that this was the place we needed to be. But at that time, my addiction really started started picking up. And I worked at the coal mine, and anyways, my back started hurting, and that uh, led to another three-year binge. You know, my work was starting to notice that I was acting a little different, you know, and it was coming down to the time where actually my wife said, you know, it's either you go to rehab or I'm taking the kids and leaving. That opened my eyes up pretty quick. I went to uh, to Brentwood Meadows and they did a really good job of rehabilitating me and getting me off those things. And I think it was pretty much the first week I got out of there. You know, I came back to Bethany and, and our attendance started picking up. Finally, after about a year of, you know, coming faithfully and it made me um, think that, you know, I'm in need of a savior. I need baptized and I need to reaffirm my faith. On April 9th uh, is when we got baptized, 2017. And from there on, I felt like now I'm committed. Following our act of faith from being baptized, our kids, you know, they, we didn't make them jump right into it. They actually decided for themselves, you know, that, that they wanted Jesus in their lives. And me and my wife are both leaders in Celebrate Recovery. It started by the church, you know, so us alcoholics and addicts or anybody struggling with hurts, habits, or hangups can come in. You know, the reason why I love Celebrate Recovery is because it shows how the steps came out of the Bible. And, and so that seems more special. And that's, that's what we're trying to do when we're working the steps is we're trying to find God trying to find Jesus. So far, it's been great. I mean, it's, it's changed my life, you know, 180 degrees. If I didn't have Jesus in my life, you know, there's no way I could have the courage and strength to do what I'm doing now. But the reason why is because I want to reach out and help somebody that's struggling. I want to let people know that if, if they need me, I'm here.
Man, we are so glad that you are here this morning to, to worship uh, with us. My name's Evan. I'm one of the ministers here at Bethany. You know, if you've got your keys with you, maybe they're keys to your car or keys to your house, would you go ahead and pull that key, key out? Um, I want you to hold on to this key. So go ahead. Go, get into the purses, gals, and guys, dig through your pockets um, and, and grab, that, grab that key if you got it. I want you to, to hold on to that. You know, it was about eight years ago that uh, I had come home from a motorcycle ride, and uh, I'd gotten to the house and uh, went inside and went to do my, my other things. And a couple days later, I, I went out to uh, get on the motorcycle, and I, I couldn't find my key. You know how this is, guys, when your wife loses your key for you. Uh, <laughs> So I uh, start doing what I always did when I lo- lose something. I say, where'd you put it, Aaron, uh, to my wife? And she says, I don't know. And I, so I look, and I look, and I you know, look in all the obvious places, right? Like the bowl where I'm supposed to put my key, uh, that I never end up putting the key there. Um, I, I, I went in, and I, I looked in the jacket that I was wearing the last time I was on the bike. I, I went into the hamper and, like, got my old dirty jeans out, and I'm digging through the pockets. I can't find the key. And finally, I just concluded... All right, I, I, I got to get going. I had a spare key, and so I left, um, did what I needed to do that afternoon, and uh, came back home, and it was like, all right, game on. I'm going to find this key, right? Now, you've been here before, haven't you? Like, you've lost something. You want to find it. What happens? You start looking, and you're looking in, like, every place possible, like in the couch cushions, right, underneath uh, the, uh, the, the TV set or somewhere there. It's, it's behind the washer and dryer, you think. Uh, you, you think about all the different places maybe the, that thing could be, and I could not find the key. Now, for weeks, it would be like I'd be sitting doing something, and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, wait, maybe it's there. And I'd go run and look, and I, I finally had to conclude that I just I'd lost that key. Now, I had a spare, like I said, but man, I wanted that key. I didn't want to know that there was a key out there that was useful for something that was, that was missing. Man, it was probably, I don't know, three or four months later. I'm sitting watching a ball game when all of a sudden I start thinking about that key again, and I thought, time out. I know what, it was different here. I said, I, I didn't go in the back door that day. I went around the house, come in the front door, and I said, I wonder if I lost the key uh, on the side of the house, maybe as I was trying to stick it in my pocket of my jacket. Now, it's, it's early winter at this point. There's a dusting of snow on the ground, uh, which is already on top of the leaves that I hadn't had a chance to rake up. And uh, so I, I go outside. I'm in the side yard digging through this soggy, wet, snowy leaves, and uh, I'm moving. I'm sure my neighbors are like, what is this guy doing out there in the middle of winter? And finally, I go out and I grab a rake, and I took one pull of that rake across the ground, and sure enough, clink the key. There it was. The ring was completely rusted shut. Uh, the key itself wasn't in too bad a shape, caked with mud all around it. I ran inside. I cleaned off that key. I found my wife, and I'm like, I found my lost key. Man, it never felt so good to take that key, to put it into the ignition of that motorcycle, and to hear that puppy fire up. You know, we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks uh, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 15. It's actually, this, these stories that I'm going to refer to are found on page 848 in the Bibles that are just right in, in front of you. And some people refer to this, this passage of Scripture in Luke 15 as the trilogy of the lost. The reason why is because there are three stories of something that was lost being found. The first story is that of a shepherd. 
right? You, some of you that, who have been with us over the last few weeks, you, you remember this story, right? The shepherd had a hundred sheep, it says, and uh, well, he lost one of his sheep. It says that he, he, the sheep had went off into the wilderness. He, he couldn't find it, and so he leaves the flock, and he goes out in search of the lost sheep, and he finds it. It says when he finds it, he, he throws the sheep on his shoulders, and he carries it back to the flock, and then it said that he called all of his friends and neighbors all the people that knew him, he called them together and he rejoiced that he had found this lost sheep. Because the sheep held value, monetary value. He was probably a hired hand. This sheep had, had perfect, uh, purpose and significance and, and he, he didn't want to lose that sheep and he had found his sheep. So he has this big celebration that he has found this lost sheep. The second story is that of a woman um, who has lost a coin to her. You know, I was talking with some folks this week about this story, and uh, they said, you know, when I first read that story, I never really understood the full significance. Because you know how it is, right? You might, you might have a pocket full of change right now, or right in your car, like the cup holder's full of change. Like, coins in our world today don't seem very valuable. But this coin, this coin held value. Not because it was just a coin with monetary value, but it was a coin that had emotional connection and value. It's said that that coin would have ordained um, a, a wedding uh, uh, band that would have been worn around the head, a dowry, um, and there would have been 10 coins on that, and she lost one of those coins. It's, it's like this. We relate it to the idea of a woman today losing the diamond in her engagement ring, right? Now, some of you, you gals maybe have misplaced your ring before. Or you've misplaced uh, something that has, has that type of emotional value. Like, she turned on all the lights in the house. She got out the, uh, the old uh, broom, and she's sweeping the house. She's looking, and she finds her lost coin. And just like the shepherd, she calls all of her friends together. She says, you guys got to come here. You, you guys got to come celebrate with me. This coin that was lost has now been found. You know, the term redemption means that we, we regain possession of something that has been lost. Oftentimes, that demands a payment. You know, our God is a God that is in the business of redemption. And as you look through the scriptures, these are the stories that you hear of a God who loves to find lost things and to make them found. You know, Brian's story that he, we just heard is a story of someone who was lost being found. And Brian would tell you that, clear as day. He, he wouldn't hold any punches. He would tell you, I was lost. I was lost in my addiction for 19 years. I was, I was just simply searching after the next high. I was, I was looking for the next fix. I was trying to find fulfillment, but I never could fulfill that thing in my heart. You know, I don't know what it was like the first time Brian stepped foot in this church. I don't remember it. He does. But I can tell you this. There was rejoicing in heaven that day that he stepped foot into this place for the first time. And when he gave his life to the Lord in April of 2017, there was a party and a celebration. Because something that was lost had been found. You know, some of you in this room this morning, you're sitting beside somebody, um, and this is your first time you have come here, and that somebody you're sitting beside is, has invited you to be here. And we've been encouraging them to do just that. And there's a reason why they chose you. Because you hold significance and value in their heart. Because they want you to come to know Jesus the way they know Jesus. 
because they know they have a God that's in the business of redemption. So here's the deal. We want you to feel at home in this place. We want you to feel relaxed in this place. We want you to be encouraged while you're in this place. We want you to know that you are loved. And so, today, there are a lot of parts in this room that just want to celebrate. Because you're here. And you're here to, to you're going to hear a message from, from uh, one of our other ministers here in a short while. You're going to hear another story. But, but right now, we're just going to continue to worship God. We're going to sing a few more songs. And that's going to be our way of celebrating that you have joined us here, and that you are allowing God to speak into your heart. So would you guys stand with me, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue to worship this morning. God, thanks so much. Thank you for the folks that are here in this room, every single one of them. Because, God, I know that you see each and every one of us with significance and value. Like the, the lost sheep, you would go after them. Like the lost coin, you're in pursuit and you're sweeping the house. You're trying to find them. God, I pray that as we worship this morning, that as folks that have been here for years and folks that are here for the very first time stand and and hear words sung and sing along as well, that, that God, you would be honored, that you would be praised. God, we love you. We love that you're in the business of redemption, of making lost things out. We say all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship. Chelsea Hart. And uh, when I was a little girl, I had um, such a heart for Jesus at such a young age. I knew so young from my grandparents' faith that um, I really knew I needed Jesus in my life, even though I grew up in a household that wasn't um, church attending or, or parents that, uh, you know, had um, a belief. I was previously married and I was in a very emotionally and physically abusive um, marriage. I always tried to hide it, but it continued to get much worse over time. Um, as it got worse, I was I was already broken down emotionally. It became harder for me um, to find my identity. I was I was breaking my relationships with my family, with my friends, because it became more difficult to hide the the physical abuse. And I wasn't able to really face my family and friends because then I would really have to confront um, the reality of my world. Um, and, and answer for that. And uh, it, it's a very shameful thing um, to go through. I'm sure there's plenty of people that, that out there wonder, why, why didn't you leave? And, and it's a very valid question, but I was just broken down so much emotionally that by the time the, the physical abuse started that I had completely lost my own identity. I didn't even know who I was anymore. I was just going through the motions of of each day. This night I called the one night. Um, it wasn't until then. I was literally kicking my children away from me as they were as they were trying to get to me. Um, I was kicking them away because I was scared that when he shot me that it would splatter on them. 
That one night was the night I was able to live and I knew that I would probably not ever have the opportunity again if I didn't leave then. My grandparents that I, that I mentioned had such a profound um, impact on my belief. Um, I had not spoken to them in, in over two years and I called them and uh, I said, I need you. And she said, I'm right here. That was the first time back into God's, God's grace. It's a really wonderful thing whenever you, uh, you feel like you've really deserved to be told no. So I went to my grandma's and my grandpa's. And I remember that first night um, just laying there on my grandma's lap, you know, um, just crying and crying, you know, just for the first time in such a long time, I felt true, genuine love and that I had not felt in so long. Every night I was praying to God the same prayer, God, if you can just help me get through this, I promise I'll tell your truth all the days of my life. I prayed that prayer for a long time and, uh, along with all those other people just just praying for me. And I didn't even know it, but uh, little would I know that it would um, be what broke my chains. There was just no more room for fear in my heart. I, uh, it was taken over by God's love. He was on the move in my life. I am now married to the man God created for me. Um, he loves me with gentleness and kindness and care and understanding. He is the most supportive and kind person. And that's something I didn't even know existed. And uh, he's the husband that I always wanted and he's the dad my children always deserved. And um, because of him, and because of the Lord, my children and I both know true love. I knew I had to be a beacon of, of hope. And uh, I wanted to be the light. I wanted people to see Him in me like I saw in those people who prayed for me. I saw the Lord. I saw they showed me love, mercy, and grace, and, and the ability to live free, and I wanted people to see that in me. He held true to what I asked him. He did get me through it, and uh, it was my turn. Uh, my promise in that prayer was to tell of his truth. I can attest that his word is true, um, because here I am still to tell you about it. What a great story. Chelsea Hart's story is a story of life transformation of what Jesus Christ has done in her, in her life. It's a story that many of you could tell, and uh, you might not maybe have the dramatics of it, but uh, it's a story that you could tell, that God has done a work in you, and you've gone from death to life through Jesus. It's a story maybe some of you have not told yet. It's a story that you haven't experienced yet, but God does invite you. Uh, to the, the saving grace of Jesus, and he welcomes you home in a long embrace. 
My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I've got a question for you. Have you ever just wanted to run away from your problems? I have. No, I'm not like talking about like, let's go on a two-week vacation and like cool down for a little bit, you know, only to know that those problems are going to be back waiting for you. I'm talking like, burn it all, leave, walk, run, start something new, somewhere. Like, where would you go? So Jesus has this story uh, in that trifecta of parables in Luke 15 that we've been studying over the last few weeks. The story is of the lost son. The story is told time and time again that the son was lost, the son left, the son uh, had this desire of, for rebellion, and then he had this desire to return. But the story is not really a story about the son. The story is really a story about the father that is in that story, the story of the prodigal son. It's really to teach us the story of God and how he receives us as we run back to him, about his deep compassion and his wonderful grace and his unlimited forgiveness. The story is this, Luke 15. If you want to follow along in a Bible, it's 849 in the Bible in the chair rack in front of you. And maybe you'd like to, but it's also on the screen here in a different translation. It says, once a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property. So the father divided up his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything, everything he owed, and, and he left for a foreign country where he wasted all his money on wild living. He had spent everything when a bad famine spread through the whole land. Soon he had nothing to eat. He went to work for a man in that country, and the man sent him out to take care of his pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. Finally, he came to his senses, and he said, you know, my, my father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against God in heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. And the younger son got up, started back to his father, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt sorry for him. He ran to his son and hugged him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against God and in heaven and against you. and I'm no longer good enough to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, hurry and bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it. So we can eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, but has now come back to life. He was lost and has now been found, and they begin to celebrate. And that is an incredible story that Jesus tells us what happens when we return back to God, that he meets us, wraps us up, and reinstates us to our rightful position as his, as his kids. And what I found out in life is that some people run away from their problems just wondering Who's going to chase him down? But I don't think that's what was going on here. I think this guy was running away from some problems, uh, not to see who would chase him down, but in an attempt to escape the problems that were running after him. 
And what surprises me about that story is that the, the young son comes to dad and he says, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead, but I want it right now, which is kind of his way of saying, dad, I, I wish you were dead. Dad, I wish that I just had what you were going to give to me right now. And I can't believe the grace of the, of, of the, of the dad in the story. I'll, I'll give you what you want. I know you don't want me in your life right now. And I'll let you go try to make your own way. And at first, that might seem like a story of a young man trying to make some decisions out of anger, leaving home, only to discover when he leaves home, he can't do it on his own devices, and then he comes to his senses and, and recognizes the grass is greener back home. But that's not why Jesus told us the story. Jesus told us that story so that we would understand the active heart of God for those that have the desire to make some steps in returning to him and head back to God. Because some of you are not close to God. Maybe you once were, but something has pushed you away. It could have been a judgmental church. It could have been uh, an addiction. It might have been just the busyness of life. and You once walked together with God, but now the busyness has just split you apart. And there's some in this room, you've never had a connection with God. Like, it's never been, you're a skeptic right now, you're sitting in here and you're wondering, is there a God? This is really, someone invited you, you're going, I'll go just to go. You're kind of surprised the church is still up even though you walk through the door. You know, you're going, well, that's, that worked, that's good. And, and may I just tell you that this place is a, is a place for you, if you're a skeptic, that this church is filled with worshipers and it's filled with doubters. And we welcome both here. But the question is, how do you get back to God? I mean, how, did he make a way for us to get back to him. And I think the first thing is, you've, just, you've got to get fed up with life. If I want to get back to God, I've just got to get fed up with my life. I've got to say, you know what? I'm just done with the circumstances of my life. They, they disgust me. Uh, my lifestyle is not what I want it to be. You've got to get to the place where you say, I am not going to live this way anymore. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you will never get back to God until you make that first step of saying, I am fed up with my life. You've got to be hungry, and you've got to be eager for change. And Jesus told us that that young man, he's in the pig sty of life saying, boy, I just wish I could eat something that those pigs are eating right now. And finally, in that moment, he gets fed up with his lifestyle. He says, this is no way to live. I had it better back home. He had nothing left. Things went from bad to worse for him. No money, no job. His birds' heads were falling off, and the economy tanks. And there he is found in a place where he's hungry and where he's homeless. Are you there yet? <laughs> Are you fed up with life yet? Are you tired of hurting, tired of being let down, tired of blaming others, tired of having no purpose, tired of the lies, tired of the backstabbing friends, Are tired of being taken for granted? Listen, God's gonna allow a little rain to fall in your life. While he didn't prescribe it, he is gonna allow a little bit of rain to fall in your life. You know why he does that? So that as you stand in that drizzle, you say, you know what, I might want to find some shelter here. And God says, I'm that shelter. I'm that place of rest and refuge. And if you don't get it, God's going to send a little bit more rain your way. He didn't prescribe it, but he's going to allow it. And that drizzle's going to start getting a little heavier to a downpour in the anticipation that you stand there and say, I don't want to be caught out in this storm here. Maybe there's a place of shelter and God's saying, I am that place of refuge and rest for you. And some of you are wondering right now, why are you in the middle of the storm? 
Why is it storming right now? And God says, I didn't send that storm, but I've allowed that storm. And you're the one that stayed out of it. And I'm here to give you the shelter. See, God sends you through the storm because he wants you to recognize that he is your place of shelter. And friends, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. And he doesn't want anybody wasting their life. He doesn't want you to waste your life. You see, he's formed you. He's created you in your mother's womb. He has a vested interest in you. He wants to see his investment have value and meaning to this world and then be redeemed from their sins. But he understands. He understands that this world is filled and plagued with problems. And there are ways in which God gets our attention. While he does not prescribe them, he allows them to be in our life. You know what they are? People. People get our attention. God uses people to get our attention. God uses pain to get our attention. God uses problems to get our attention. And God uses the purposelessness of our life to get our attention to say, are you done or do you just want to stay in the rain? Are you done or do you want to settle the storm by yourself or do you want me to be your shelter? See, some of you are in the storm. You've lost your job, storm. You have lost your marriage, You have lost friends. You've lost your direction in life. God did not send those storms, but he allows you to go through them so that you will rely on him to be your shelter. And the first step back to God is to say, I am fed up with my lifestyle. I am fed up living this way. I am fed up with my circumstances. And God once said this about those that say I'm fed up. He says, you search for me, and when you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. You will find me. Some of this room you say, well, you know, I've been looking for God. He's just hard to find. God's not hard to find. David, whose story is found in the Old Testament portion of the scriptures, he was a king that was a man after God's own heart, yet he had some some real downfalls. He was an adulterous man. He was a murderous man. He was a man that had rebellious children in his family. And man, if he's a man after God's own heart, I must look great compared to David right now. And so David says, listen, I tried to run away in those moments from God. I tried to get God out of my life as fast and as quick as I could, but you know what I found about God? I can't run from God. I can't hide from God. Here's actually how he said it. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. God, I can't get away from you. There's no escaping you. God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so what did David do? He reached up to God. When you seek God with all your heart, God says, I'll be found. I'm right here. You get fed up. Here's the second thing you got to do. Here's the second step you got to make. Not only got to get fed up, you got to own up. You got to own up to your own sins. That's what this young man did. He owned up. He owned up that he had misguided his life. Jesus said that that man came to his senses. That could have been a moment of clarity for you. That could be a moment of sobriety for you. And you just say, I just can't keep living this way. I am homeless. I am hungry You know, my dad's employees have it better than I do. I'm supposed to be his kid. But I've rejected that. And so the young man decides to go home, just beg for a job from his dad. But in that moment, things get clear to him. In that moment, in that mess, things get clear. And he has this internal thought, and we get to hear it. I have sinned against God in heaven, and dad, I have sinned against you. Friends, nothing's going to happen in your life until you make the first step of saying, I'm fed up with the way my life is going. And the second step of, I own up. I've made some of this mess. I have caused the storm, and I will quit trying to blame others for the rain. I've made my bed, and I've got to lie in it. God didn't make life bad for that young man. The son made life hard on himself. That's what sin does 
Sin makes this great disconnect where we say, boy, I don't like the way things are going right here. Sin makes this great disconnect where we say, I don't feel close to God. I feel removed and distant from him. And you know what the Bible tells us? Your sin, my sin, our sins are the roadblock between you and God. They're the roadblock. That's why he doesn't answer your prayers. That's why you don't get to seek his face. That's why you don't feel close. Because we have allowed sin to be the very thing that has disconnected us. And once this young man owned up, got fed up and then owned up, it became plain to him. He has caused pain to his heavenly father. And he's caused pain to his earthly family. He's brought disconnect to God. And he's brought discontentment to his dad. And he finally just said, that's on me. I own that. And when I own up to my sins, God never sits there and says, Matt, you've really blown it. I'm really going to rub your nose in it. No, this is beautiful. God doesn't rub our nose in our sin. He scrubs it out. Listen to 1 John and what it says. If we confess our sins, he, God, will forgive our sins because, he can, because we can trust God to do what is right. What a great line. We can trust God to do what's right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Friends, that is the oxyclean of Bible verses right there. You come to him stained, you come to him wrinkled, you come to him a mess, and God says, I will clean you up. And I'm not going to rub it in, I'm going to scrub it out. And what activates that promise that God gives to our life is, I've got to first get fed up, but then I have to own up. God, I have sinned. I have made a mess of things. And God says, then I promise you, I will forgive, I will forget, I will cleanse you from those things. To get back to God, I gotta get fed up. I gotta own up. I gotta do this third thing. I gotta offer up myself to God. Fed up, own up, and offer up. That's what this young man did. He drifted away from his dad and he said, give me my share, didn't he? Dad, give me what is mine. And it's amazing of a transformation that happens when he's in the pigsty. He's in, he's in the darkest moment. He has this great transformation. Give me mine. And what does he come home and say to his dad? Make me. Give me mine to make me a servant. What a change of heart. What a change of attitude. What a transformation. Give me, give me, give me to make me, make me, make me. Dad, I don't want you to. Dad, I absolutely need you. That's a transformation. That's a change of heart. And he goes into dad and he says, I'm just going to offer myself up to you, dad. I couldn't do it my way. I said I didn't want you, but now I've discovered in life, in the problems of life, in the middle of a storm, I absolutely need you right now. I love Chelsea's story. Chelsea says as she was going through that abuse and as she was recovering from that abuse, God, you remove this. I'll do anything from you. Some of you are like, you know what? I've had a foxhole commitment like that too, but it doesn't seem to take. God, spare me my life and I will do anything for you. I'll live the rest of my days from here on out. But for Chelsea, it wasn't just a moment of getting through the battle. For Chelsea, it was a way of life to say, God, you can rescue. I can find shelter in you. And when I get back to you, I've recognized that better in your house for one day than a thousand anywhere else else. You've got to get fed up. You've got to own up and you've got to finally offer up your life to God. Do you know God is able to take the greatest sinners and turn them into the greatest of saints? In the New Testament portion of the scriptures, there's a guy by the name of Saul. Saul is a, a prisoner of Christians. He's plotted the death of Christians. And uh, when he finally just offered himself up to God, 
God looked down on him and said, Saul, you know what? I can't do much with you. There's not a lot of good in you. You're you're a corrupt man. I I can't even use your name, man. (laughs) Saul says, I offer myself up to you, God. And God says, well, I forgive you. And I'll forget those sins. And I'll give you a new name. A new name. And that notorious sinner named Saul was transformed by God to become known through the world as the Apostle Paul. Friends, God is in the business of transforming sinners into saints. And he gives us this promise that when we come back to Jesus Christ, he says these words, if anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything is new. Everything is new. He doesn't need the worn outness. He's gonna give you something new. He doesn't need what you bring to him that's old. He's gonna give you something new. Paul says, my, name's not, my name is mud, God. God's, God says, I don't need your name, Saul. You're now Paul. We can do something new. I'm the one that specializes in newness. So the son decides to return home and just ask his dad for a job. But it's important to notice what the father's response is. Look at verse 20. It's on the screen here. So he got up. The son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, that means that maybe the father was like on the watch for the son. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. His heart broke. He ran out to his son. What a, what a great part of the story. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. Notice dad didn't wait. Well, you got to make every step to me. No. The moment he saw his son come over the crest of the horizon, dad makes a beeline to him while he was still a long way off. And that moment, that moment when the son got fed up, when he owned up to his sins, when he offered up, God says, exactly where I want you. We're gonna meet up. I'm gonna meet you. And God met that young, young man, forgave him, received him. And friends, that's not just some kind of parable that he tells about some fictitious son. Jesus says, that can be your story. This can be your story. Once you get fed up and own up and you offer up, God says, I will run out to meet you. That can be your story. And what happens in the story? Well, not only does he get fed up, not only does he own up, not only does he offer up. Here's what's the great part. God says, I will lift you up. I will lift you up. You don't have to remain who you used to be. And here's what happens. The the father says to the, the servants, hurry up and go get the best clothes for my son. You're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna come back in this house like looking like that. No, that's not what he's saying. Those old clothes represent your old life, son. I don't want you to be reminded of your old life anymore. You are now my son again. We're gonna put on some new clothes here. I love that when it says when we come to Jesus and we are baptized into Christ, we are clothed with Christ. Here's what the scriptures say. For those who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. He says, you're something new. You've been clothed by Christ. Your sins are forgiven. I love that when the son comes back, he's getting a ring on his finger. That ring had special meaning that had a crest of the family seal and that ring represented that you are a a kid in that household, that every right and privilege of the family is yours if you have that ring on. And when that son came in and that ring was put back on his finger, it meant you are my son. You are someone dearly loved. Some of you in this room, you think, well, if I come back to God, he's gonna chew me out. He's gonna discipline me. He's gonna make me feel guilty. No, he's not. He's not gonna do that. He's gonna put you in a rightful position. You're his son. You're his daughter. Here's what the scriptures say what happens when you return home. If you belong to Jesus, you won't be punished. There isn't condemnation for you. God wants to position you as his kid. Then the young man is also given new shoes, kind of an interesting thing to do. Bring some sandals for his feet. 
And Father's telling the son, you have new purpose now. Those old sandals that led you astray, those old steps that you used to take that led you to a place of destruction, you're not gonna take those anymore. That old wandering, that old meaningless, that old purposeless walk that you used to have, I'm giving you new shoes now, shoes that will represent meaning to you, shoes that will lead you to a new purpose, a new destiny, a land of promise. And it's no wonder, guys, it's no wonder why in the story the father celebrates. It's not because... The son was back physically and was lost and is found. It's because the son had lost out on so much and finally had rediscovered the purpose that God had put in his life. Now that that son was home, he wasn't only found. That son was made complete. He didn't have to walk through life alone anymore. Friends, that, that story in Luke 15 is not a story of a lost son that has run away from his problems at home That story is about a lost son who ran away from his problems of life to find protection back home. And some of you are in the rain. You're caught in the storm, and God says, I welcome you back into the shelter. All you need is take these steps, get fed up, own up, offer up, and I will lift you up. And Jesus tells us that story to say, this can be your story. This can be your story. You return to God. He welcomes you. He cleanses you. He wants to clothe you in Christ. Be baptized into Christ. Be clothed in Christ. Start fresh. Start new. Where would you go? Where would you run to escape your problems? The prodigal says, I would run back to God. That's where I'd run. Be alive. Find purpose in Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter of our heavenly father. And some of you are like, well, what do I do? I'm fed up. I've owned up. I've offered up. What do I do now? What's my next step? Well, if you've never made a commitment to Christ and you've never been baptized, your next step is to meet with someone like me right after we pray here and get into the baptistry and be clothed with Christ. Become a son or daughter of Jesus. Have your sins forgiven. You're saying, well, I've done that, but I just have fallen away. Then you need to meet with somebody. You need to meet with someone who brought you. You need to meet and tell somebody that you're recommitting your life to Christ so someone can hold you accountable as you walk out these doors today so that you're reminded that you are God's precious son, that you have been clothed, that you wear the ring, that you have a new purpose that marks your steps in life. We're gonna pray and we're gonna close out this service, but I'm asking you, if you have a decision to make that you meet with someone like me at the front of these steps just right after we pray, let's stand together as we do this. Father, I'm thankful for those that are in this place that hear the story of what it means to run back to God to get back home. I pray that in this room, people who are fed up and owning up and offering up will discover how you lift up. And I pray people will come to be baptized today. I pray that people will come to rededicate their life to Jesus. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.